Hello and welcome to this session on why investors should be wary of investment biases in a volatile times sponsored by PSG Wealth. Now, confirmation, recency and affirmation bias are as well as performance chasing are just a few of the regular mistakes that wealth managers see investors make, especially in volatile markets as experienced throughout this year. It's important to remember that markets aren't rational and at times market participants will not act in a rational manner. These cognitive biases identified by uh, behavioral economists actually explain why investors find themselves making the same mistakes again and again. In this discussion powered by PSG Wealth, our guest highlights PSG's view on these uh, cognitive biases in the investment landscape. I'm Diwa Kabaza, business writer with the Business Day and Financial Mail, and I'll be your host for this very fascinating discussion. And joining me today is Adrian Pasco, who is the Chief Investment Officer over at PSG Wealth. Adrian, greetings to you today. Hi, Medewa. Thank you very much for having me and, and hello to our listeners. Now, thank you so much for being with us once again. Now, in our previous discussion, you actually highlighted that investors often make the same type of mistakes, especially when markets are volatile. I believe, you know, you you alluded to it quite a bit in that discussion just around some of the pain that is felt when markets are, you know, being volatile, the panic that sometimes sits in and how some of the big sell-offs do result and all of that. But what does behavioral economics actually say about some of these mistakes? Yeah, so the field of research in terms of investor biases is fairly broad these days. So going back about 20 years, there were a handful that were identified that would explain a fairly substantial portion of the issues that investors um, would pick up as they try to invest. But these days, there are quite literally hundreds of biases that academics have found But to give you a whirlwind tour of of where we stand on this, um, it's really four key takeaways if I was to summarize this. And the key is that the mistakes are very costly, uh, first and foremost. And I'll stop here for a second before I briefly touch on on the other three takeaways. But if you look at um, the research from Dalbar, which is a Canadian research business, they've been putting a study forward for the last 29 years. um, And they've been monitoring US equity investor behavior. And they've been tracking individual investor performance and calculated the average performance for investors and then benchmarked that against the S&P 500. And and what they found is that the average investor would typically generate 7.1% per annum, where the S&P 500 actually returned 10.7% per annum over that same period. So there's a 3.6% erosion just through uh, different behavior. So a a 4% per annum is obviously not immaterial, but it actually is a lot worse than than what it sounds. So if you had invested 100,000 US dollars, according to the study 29 years ago, the average investor would have generated a return that resulted in an end value of $790,000. But if you invested in the S&P 500 without the biases, you would have had $2.1 million. So you actually only harvest 38% of the value through the S&P and the other 62% is eroded through poor behavior. So that's quite material. And there's actually similar research that's done through Morningstar, where they focus purely on the unit trust base. So not equity only, but unit trust across a wider spectrum of asset classes, including fixed income. 
And there they find the impact of investor behavior is, is around 1.7%. So obviously the margin for error on fixed income products is a little bit higher. So you can't do as much damage, hence the percentage is a bit lower. But um, the fact remains that there are mistakes being made and they are quite costly. So, so that's the first key point. Secondly, is it's typically always the same mistakes that are repeated. And that's really important. So if you find, as a third point, where you see different market conditions, for each set of market conditions, the same type of a mistake is made. So for example, during volatile periods, investors will typically shorten their investment horizon. So, so that is, is what you would typically find during all periods or bouts of, of volatility. But the, the really important and valuable uh, finding is the last one which says because these factors repeat themselves in a fairly predictable manner, they can be planned for and mitigated or even prevented if you do a good job. And that's really where we try and play a role in trying to, to understand these biases better and try and, and prevent um, investors from making mistakes. Now, Adrian, we do want to get a little bit deeper into some of the, you know, some of these biases that you are referring to and sort of going deeper into the research that you're highlighting. And I think one of the ones uh, that we can start with is confirmation bias. I think my limited understanding is that usually people go out seeking information or things that sort of affirm or confirm whatever stance or position they may be given towards or maybe scared of. I'm not sure whether in an investor type of situation, you know, is that still the same case or is it a little bit more complex from a behavior economics point of view? No, I, I think you, you spot on in, in the sense that investors seek out the things that confirms their existing views and, and, and this applies to life in general. So we tend to agree with people that have the same opinions as, as us, right? So that's just, that's just human nature because we have our point of view for a reason. But I think that the really interesting part of this is that we don't know that that is what we're doing. So if we say we tend to only seek out the research that supports our view, it's not like investors wake up in the day and they say, I'm going to find research that supports my view. They actually think that they are doing independent research and reading independently and objectively. But what's happening in, in practice is that where you read something that doesn't support your view, you discount it as invaluable or inferior or inaccurate. So it's almost a, a secondary instinct that takes place and you don't even know that you are doing that. And so say, for example, even an analyst that's writing a, a report, if, if he has a buy recommendation out on a stock and he's going through research, Inherently, the things that will support his existing point of view are the things that they typically incorporate into their reports and the other things they off the hand dismiss as false. So, so that's really, uh, really interesting in terms of how, how that actually takes place in, in practice. Another example would be is, I mean, something relevant to South African investors at the moment is if you have a view that investing in South Africa is a really poor idea because the backdrop is not great and corruption and all of these things that are floating around at the moment, um, if you look at two separate statements, which are you more, more likely to be uh, believe? The first says South African assets are very attractively priced or load shedding is going to make it impossible for companies to grow profits. Essentially, confirmation bias says you are more likely to believe that second comment because it supports your existing view. And the, force, and the first one you will dismiss off, offhand. 
Um, and the sad reality is that research is an ongoing task and you, you do it because you want to challenge your existing view or perspective and you try to incorporate new facts and new thinking so that if you need to change your mind, you can. But if you off the bat have a confirmation bias where you by definition only consider the things that support your existing view, you might as well not do any research at all and just focus on your view and, and keep it as such. So, so it, it's really important to keep that mindset and understand that for any person, any investor, professional or retail, confirmation bias is something that impacts all of us. So you've got to be really open-minded and challenge your own investment case. So um, the way we typically get around that kind of thing in our research team is we, we have someone that we call the 12th man in our team, where if we put an investment case down, we ask the 12th man to uh, prepare a counter-investment case to look for all the reasons why the original report would be wrong. And then we objectively look of how many of those arguments has a, um, a, a plausible argument and try to incorporate that. So it's a type of a stress test on, on your thinking or on your opinion of things. I think it's clear to see that uh, the team over at uh, PSG are fans of cricket, given the fact that they have a 12th man in their team to give them a bit of a more balanced view when it comes to some of these issues. But on a serious note, though, it is quite a real factor that you're talking about, Adrian. And I think one of the key things about it is what you said at the beginning to say that people don't even know that they're going out to seek some of these views that do affirm or confirm whatever their view or stance is. And going forward, it does sort of put that importance on why a person should be open to other views and also keeping that open mind. And then the next bias, I'll admit this one, I'm not too sure about, at least confirmation bias. You you could see that uh, I had a clue, I was headed in the right direction. But recency bias, what is that and what does it entail? Yeah, so, so recency bias, um, again, quite, quite interesting in the sense that it's very counterintuitive if you look at it from the outside. And if you were to ask someone whether they do this or not, it's very likely that they will deny doing this. It's almost like asking someone, you know, are you a good driver or a bad driver? Most people will tell you that they are good drivers, but not everybody. Or if you ask them, are you an above average driver? Most people would say I'm an above average driver, but only half the people can realistically be above average drivers. So, so that's, that's, that's quite interesting. But if we look at recency bias, it's where if you ask investors, do you think long-term and do you think long-term results are more important than short-term noise? Most investors would tell you, absolutely, that's what I focus on. But if you see what's happening in, in practice, it's very, very different. So I, even just this week, I was speaking to someone and they made a comment to say they felt like the equity market was flat for a few years and already is getting very frustrating. And I was quite taken aback by it because if you look at what's actually happened to our market, it's up 20% per annum over the last two years already. But what's happening is that person is extrapolating the events of the last six months where markets have been under pressure. And, and that's the reality that they live in at the moment. And the recovery in, in over the previous two years is sort of already forgotten. Um, and, and, and it's purely just to say investors do place more emphasis and value on short-term performance numbers than, than, than long-term ones, even though, again, they don't realize that they do this. And again, I don't want to hammer on the sports analogies today. It's a bit unusual for me. But, but I mean, we, we as South Africans, we, we do exactly the same, same thing with our sports teams, right? So 
our sports teams can do very well for a majority of the time. And then if they lose the last game, then you can just see the, the bad headlines around the guys are losing form or they made a mess of things. And, and that's just the way people instinctively operate. And, and from experience, what I can say is the, the more volatile things are, the shorter term the thinking tends to become and the more accentuated this bias becomes and the bigger the error or, or risk becomes. Because if you start to, to, to think of, say, say for example, uh, you go back to, to what happened with, with COVID, for example, you know, people, people forget that equity returns over the long term beat inflation. But for some reason, when the market's down 50%, then everybody seems to think that equities are, are in deep trouble and they forget their long-term plans and they just focus on the immediate reality. Where, quite frankly, if you, if you invest in equities and you've got a 7 to 10-year horizon out of your equity portfolio, you should actually expect a recession for whether it's COVID or GFC or something else. We, we don't know necessarily what the cause is going to be, but you will most probably get that setback. Uh, over your investment horizon, and, and and you should expect it. And yet everybody is quite surprised when when that happens. And uh, you know, when it comes to something like that, uh, the recency bias, I can easily maybe relate to what's going on in the technology markets at the moment. Yes, there's a current downward trend year to date when it comes to you know some of the big global. I think people usually talk about the fan companies, the Facebooks, Amazon, Netflix, Google, Apple, etc. Um, yes, a lot of these companies are down year to date. You know, we're recording this in August 2022. A lot of the companies are down year to date, but when you look at it on a five-year horizon or a 10-year horizon, then the trend shows that these these companies have grown quite uh, exponentially over that time. So I guess that's uh, the recency bias you know, that then comes and then you then say, no, it's a bad time, let's not do this. And I guess it shows why people should temper some of their, what you call this, uh, some of their views of what's actually going on in the market. Yes, they can be a trend uh, that's happening in the short term, but over the long term, what are you actually seeing that's actually happening and going on? So Adrian, we've now detailed recency bias. We got into quite a bit of detail around confirmation bias. Any other of the behavioral uh, pitfalls that investors should be wary of or looking out of? Yeah, I'll, I'll maybe give you one more. Um, so something that's quite relevant at the moment is, is herd behavior. And you always find an element of this in markets. And this is exactly the thing that drives bubbles and, and busts. So it, it comes back to the, the extreme fear and extreme greed components where markets tend to sell off quite aggressively and quite deeply. And when they recover, they recover quite sharply and, and inflate asset prices. And, and this is similar to if, if you think in, in a real world example. So consumers will much rather use a restaurant, for example, that, that's, that's full as opposed to one that's empty. So if you were to walk past two restaurants, it's, it's much more likely that you will actually enter the one that's, that's busier because there's some element of credibility that's linked to some restaurant that's busy. And if you look at what happens, so for example, buskers that, that play music, you know, near a mall or something similar, typically what these guys do quite cleverly is they, they would add coins to their collection hats, for example, um, to give the impression that, you know, they have been attracting tips. And as you walk past, you will instinctively feel more comfortable also allocating a tip. In some cases, the buskers even even add notes to, to the hat. 
so that when you think of giving a tip and you you have a coin in your hand but you look at the hat and you see other other notes in there then you might go back and you you take a note out of your wallet and rather put that down so it's it's small little things and and people don't always understand why they do these things or even consciously doing it as an active decision but these things do happen and there are different elements to to the thinking that may apply here. So the one element is that maybe there's safety in numbers, so the crowd cannot be wrong. So if the restaurant's full, surely the food must be great. But how would you feel if if you knew that that restaurant owner actually paid people to sit here so that it looked busy, so that they, they could attract more clients, for example? And one of the other elements that features in that thinking is that the masses have insights that I might not have. So there's, there's wisdom in the crowd. So if I follow them, then surely, surely they are right. And, and then there's also obviously a component of fear of missing out. Why is this so popular? I'm not involved there. I definitely need to get involved there. And a good example of this is, is Bitcoin. So I realize that, you know, our audience might have different perspectives as to whether they, they like it or not. But it, but there is an element that's undeniable in the sense that it has attracted a lot of um, attention. And the bigger it gets, the more credibility it seems to build. And investors don't want to miss out because they hear some of the returns, et cetera, et cetera. So that's a very good example of how hurting people aren't doing objective research to understand how the technology works or whether it's going up or down or whether it will fundamentally survive or not. But they do know that there's a lot of money invested in it and therefore they infer that it should be okay. But unfortunately, that's not how markets work. The more expensive a stock becomes isn't because it has it's 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 better necessarily. Sometimes it's just a herd element that pushes prices up further and there's actually a risk involved. So very important again to look at that objectively. Adrian, just as a quick follow-up to what you've just said about this uh, herd type of mentality that happens, some of the research uh, you know, that I've just uh, briefly seen and touched on in the past does say that in certain cases, market participants, instead of doing their own research or due diligence, if they see maybe someone who's bigger than them or more credible getting invested in a particular asset class, a stock or, or financial instrument, then they assume that whoever that big person is has done the thing and you sort of uh, can I say uh, you sort of outsource whatever due diligence you are going to do and you say because the bigger person has done it you know surely you know this must be something credible and I can probably now get um, invested if they as the big person are doing it then surely I should also be getting into the market to get whatever returns they have. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, to be honest, I mean, we've had a couple of failures in, 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 the, in that environment in South Africa. So, you know, guys who, who, who advertise on, on television or serve as sponsors for, for events, for example, and clients would see the, the signage and immediately assume that obviously it's a big organization that has the money to advertise and surely they must be credible. And then, you know, months later, we see these businesses collapse for, for whatever reason. And there's actually been two or three of those examples where people tend to, to, to think that businesses are credible if there's a herding component and it, it, it sort of builds its own credibility through that herding. But herding in itself is not a reason to, to think investment is a good idea. I think it comes back to your point around, you know, really being objective and doing your own homework. Don't, don't just... That's the crowd. The crowd very often gets it wrong, um, especially in the investment space. 
So there's a lot that's going on uh, that uh, Adrian has actually just highlighted for us in terms of all the different biases and some of the pitfalls that people sort of get stuck in, some of the hysteria that happens and some of the more herding behavior that also does happen. We've also got into the recency bias confirmation. So as we end off then, Adrian, how do people, especially investors, what can they do to avoid some of these biases when investing? I, I think earlier on you had already alluded to some of the things that your own team does um, when it comes to trying to minimize some of these things? Yeah, so I, I think, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, we, we should acknowledge that the biases are very costly and, and they can't go unmanaged or, you know, you, you need to find a plan to address it in some way or form. Otherwise, the, the cost of not doing so is, is too significant. But the good news is that they are also very predictable, as I mentioned. So I think it is a case of saying, you know, we, we are all human and, and even professional investors can make these mistakes as well. But we need to recognize whether you're a retail investor or whether you're a professional investor, it doesn't really matter. We're all human and we need to recognize the potential impact of our emotions and our instincts on the way that we invest. And to that extent, it's really important that you get yourself into a place where you are well prepared expect that recession and recognize that when there's that recession or that market pullback that these biases tend to flare up and operate in a team where your peers can help you keep those kind of things in check and accept that you might have a very specific bias towards a stock for example that you've loved because you like the brand or, or whatever the case may be but identify those biases that that applies to your own thinking. So it, it might be worth just reflecting deeply on, on where you stand and, and, and where you've made mistakes in the past and does it maybe tie back to some type of a bias that tends to feature in your investment discipline when you go through a specific period of market stress, for example. And then, I mean, similar to using an objective party to help you, also use objective research and then read it objectively. Don't dismiss the facts that don't agree with your understanding as 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 false uh, really go and try and, and think deeply around whether that might be correct and and what the consequences are to your own portfolio if maybe you are the wrong party and the, the counter narrative is actually correct and what is the impact on your portfolio should that be the case because you can't be correct on everything you are going to make mistakes as an investor so you don't want to bet the house on one or two calls, for example, that that's also speaks to your component of portfolio diversification, etc. So having that um, party there, that independent party there to, to test your thinking and to keep your objective is really important. I think, again, I mean, for that, that's exactly where wealth management business can play an important role. So, I mean, if you have an idea or a uh, a feeling around something, definitely test that with your wealth manager and say, listen, this is how I read things at the moment. What does the research say? What is your take on it? Am I wrong? Um, should we be doing something else? Um, what do the experts say? And I think those kind of things can really help a lot. And then uh, lastly is recognize that you might be thinking that you think long term, but most investors tend to think short, short term and they think even shorter term when things get tough. And that's exactly when you need to force yourself to think longer term. It's, it's, it's when things get tough where you should force yourself out of that short-term thinking and into the long-term thinking. And that's what, always why we train our financial planners to say, remember, it's really important to emphasize at the moment that everybody thinks long-term through the cycle 
The recessions and market collapses are part of what we do. Appreciate that, think through it, and, and, and try not to harm your portfolio by doing something silly. A good example of this was actually during COVID. We saw uh, unit trust flows through the CISA stats. Investors at the bottom um, of the market, you know, we, it's mid-year 2020. We saw so many outflows out of equity unit trusts, and that all went to money market and fixed income just as the recovery was about to happen. So it's that kind of thing that you really want to prevent because that can be quite harmful. So that's been it, you know, very fascinating uh, talking about some of the biases that investors tend to have in the market. One of the big things that Adrian is saying is that these biases can be or can lead to uh, very expensive mistakes being made by your market players. Just talking about confirmation bias where you sort of go out and you look for information or views that support your views and in a lot of cases not knowing that that is what you're doing and then uh, recency bias, uh, just looking at how short-term thinking tends to be quite pervasive despite the fact that people tend to think of themselves as being long-term thinking. The short-term view tends to influence them more than they actually know. And then herding or, you know, some of that herd mentality, looking at what everyone else is doing and maybe being caught up in uh, where the general market is going, the fear of missing out. Also, you know, some of the factors around if someone else is doing something then surely especially if they are seen as credible then uh, it lends itself to more and more people getting involved in whatever that activity is the key thing have some objective party that is actually there. Adrian spoke about the 12th man that they have in their team, but also he's saying make use of uh, the likes of wealth managers and the like. Test out your ideas before you go out and you do it. So that's been it um, you know, for this session. Thank you so much to Adrian Pask, who is the Chief Investment Officer over at PSG Wealth. So that brings us to the end of this discussion on why investors should be wary of investment by and volatile times sponsored by PSG Wealth. I've been your host, Murio Gavaza of the Business Day and Financial Mail. And remember that you can subscribe for free episodes on iono.fm, Spotify, player.fm, Pocket Cost, or wherever you choose to get your podcasts.